Welcome to the People's Church Sermoncast. You can join us for our live worship services on Sundays at 10 a.m. People's Church is located at the corner of Mill Plain and Andreessen in Vancouver, Washington. Please visit our website at peoplesvancouver.church to learn more about our community and how you can get involved. And now for this week's sermon. Where I want to go today is living your best life, the hows, the whys, and the ways made simple by Jesus. Now, Joel Osteen wrote a book, something, uh, I didn't take this title from, from Joel, that's my only point saying, I've not read Joel's book, um, and I doubt that there's very, uh, very much connection between what I'm going to be saying and what he's saying in, in his book called The Best Life, and it's not because I'm right and he's wrong, I, I don't know, I'm just letting you know, I didn't get this title from Joel, I felt that it most appropriately identified what I want to talk to you about, because Jesus took this complex notion because everybody wants to know, how do I live my life the best way? Well, first, before we even go there, have you ever had to deal with regrets? Boy, if I had that to do over again. <laughs> oh, I started that when I was like two. You know? We all have. So the enemy comes in and says, yeah, because of this, that, and the other thing, you're never going to have the best life. God's perfect plan can't work in you because of... That's a lie straight from the pits of hell. So Jesus took this complex notion that operates in the psyche and the inside of every human being alive. doesn't matter what language, what color, what, what um, uh, culture. Uh, they, everyone feels in some way they're trying to figure out, how do I live the best life possible? And... And honestly, most, the majority of humanity, by the time they reach their early teens or their early 20s, they're convinced that their life is never going to be what it, what it should have been. That's a lie from the enemy. God capitalizes on human mistakes. Now, I'm not giving uh, you room to just say, I'm going to go do whatever I want, and God's going to make something good come out of it. Uh, no, he'll discipline you. He'll do whatever. He'll, he'll, you, guess what? For the, the law of sowing and reaping is immutable. What's that word mean? It means it cannot ever be changed. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you believe or don't believe. It doesn't mean, matter if you're an atheist or an agnostic or a fiery Pentecostal preacher. There are immutable laws of heaven that operate no matter And the law of sowing and reaping is one of them. And, um, but Jesus took this complex notion uh, of living your best life and reduced it to the simplest but most profound way, the most profound solution by doing a comparison between two types of living. And that's found over in John 10.10. 10. So, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and, and one of the, <clears throat> you know, y'all realize salvation is a really simple plan. Why? It's salvation, the plan of salvation is that any person at the age of accountability, when they hit that age of accountability, they can understand it. What's the age of accountability? I don't know. I think it varies, but I think it's between, you know, five and six or seven years old, somewhere around there. I'm not a psychiatrist, psychologist. I don't know, but I know that was about where I hit it. That's where about I saw, I saw my boys not just being, oh, they're cute, but being, they're rascals. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and so the plan of salvation is so that anybody at that age can understand exactly how to go through it, how to do it, how to access it, how to accept it. It's not complicated. But religion and, 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 and um, just the world and the human brain and all of that, man, we love to complicate things. We, you know, uh, I'm not a fan of big government. It's not about politics. It's just that big government makes everything so complicated that I can't understand any of it. How many signed up for 
you hit that age and you had to sign up for, what, Medicare? Yeah. I blanked out and said, I can't hear very good, and so my wife has to do this. And then I handed her the phone, and, just, and so she took care of it. I use every, I mean, deafness at times is a good thing. You can, you can find goodness in any of it. <laughs> but in John 10.10, 10, Jesus said this, the thief, everybody say thief. Now, who do you think he's talking about? Let's say, the devil, Lucifer, uh, uh, that one who comes as a roaring lion, the thief does not come except, the only reason he comes is because of these, the only thing he does is these three things. He comes except to steal, to kill, and destroy. What's happening in the Middle East? The thief has come. What's happening in Ukraine? The thief has come. What was Jesus talking about? Wars and rumors and wars. The thief is active. Or it'll be like it was in the days of Noah, the activities of the thief. The thief is really easy to figure out. You've all had to deal with and experience his activity in your life somewhere along the way at some point. He comes, and he comes, steal, killing, and destroying. But Jesus said, I, everybody say I, and that's obviously Jesus. I have come that they, the they is you. <laughs> the they is you, the they is me, the they is us, the they is humanity. That they may have life, and that they may have it more abundantly. Simple, right? Out of just that truth, you should be able to determine everything that's going on in your life. But sometimes in the fog of emotion, in the fog of circumstances, confusion. What do I do now? What's going on? How do I make sense of all this? The thief's way or the world's way is stealing, killing, and destroying. I'm not going to take time to preach upon it. it it's, it's self-explanatory, right? You just look around. It's everywhere. Uh, every day out in this parking lot, I see the results of this activity that's happened of the people that are passing through. Myself and a few others, we, along the way, we've got to keep the building safe and all that, but man, I pray for more people in that parking lot than I do at this altar. <laughs> and I finally realized that the other day. I'm like, man, man, I, I got to start, start giving better altar calls. The parking lot's doing better than what's happening on Sunday morning in here. We got to fix that. We got to fix that. So please. But, no. <laughs> but John 10, 10, life as explained by Jesus' impact upon it. Jesus was saying, that's what the enemy has, his impact is. Jesus' impact on life is just the opposite. Jesus explained that he came that they may have life. That is, life as God has it. The only, the only life that the Lord, not the only, I can't put it that way, but the life that God most wants to uh, 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 focus on in you is the life that comes from the kingdom. Because there's nothing new under the sun. We all go the same way. We're born, we grow through, grow through the processes of life. Uh, we have all these interactions. We try to figure out uh, what's going on. Last weekend, was it last weekend? No, it was the weekend before. I didn't take any time on Levi's uh, time here. But a couple of weeks ago, I was with two of my sons and, and one of my grandsons. And, and uh, it was a wonderful time. We were over in the mountains of Idaho at, at where uh, my brother and I and my dad grew, uh, spent many, many years hunting. And so took the boys over, and we're looking at trying to go back there next year. But the greatest thing out of it is <clears throat> to see what's happened in my 18-year-old grandson that his parents didn't even realize. Seth is his name, and he's a good young man. I'm not going to stand up here and brag and all that. I could, but I won't. But in the middle of one night, we were watching TV about hunters getting lost. <laughs> you know, 
it was just the guys. And we had the lights out, and we're like, man, oh, man, we were just in. And in the middle of it, Seth says, can I put something on and we can watch it? And we were all a little surprised. We said, yeah, yeah. What Seth chose to have his grandpa, his dad, and his uncle watched, stunned our little family gathering. And it was about how to hear the voice of God and the reality of the supernatural realm and the power of the Holy Spirit. And I kind of figured something went up when he said, Grandpa, how did you know that you were called to the ministry? He goes to college this weekend. And his business and all of that. But he's, he's dealing with the call of God in his life. Jesus said, I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. I can tell you without exaggeration, without me trying to be hyperbole and all of that, that conversation was worth more than if somebody would come up and say, here's a million dollars. You have the same things going on in your life. And um, so life is explained by Jesus' impact upon it is that life as God has it. So the few little points I'm going to try to bring today are going to focus on life as God brings his life into your life and the impact that has. And it's not that it's easy to overlook, but unless you intentionally try to focus on it and keep the lens down in on it, man, you can just zoom right over the top because there's a lot of stuff happening in everybody's life, right? This life that Jesus was talking about, that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. That life which the Father has in himself. That life which the Father has given to his son, Jesus. Jesus came that, he said, I've come that you might have life. Jesus came to impart life. That is, somehow life becomes different when Jesus becomes involved in your life and you become involved in his life. Life changes. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. Doesn't mean we just get a ticket to heaven. No, life, this life, right here and right now, it changes when you Connect yourself with him, and he connects himself to you because of your opening the door to him. And that life which his son has manifested in the world. He said, I've come that you might have life. And then he said, I've come that you might have not only just life, but you might have it more abundantly. You see, stealing, killing, and destroying, that's all in the minus column, right? <laughs> that's all takeaways, right? That's all, oh, I had something great, and now all I've got is ashes. Oh, I had something that was beautiful, and now it's just a broken mess. And that's what the enemy does. That's what he specializes in. But greater is our God to heal and restore than the enemy's ability to break and kill and destroy. Somebody say, thank you, Lord. We're on the right side. Why do we do outreaches? Oh, it's not just to get some folks in the building and say we had folks in the building. No, we do it because there are people that are broken out there that if we can get them touching Jesus in any way possible, right now they're not coming to just hear me talk like I talk, but they will come and come under the influence of the power of prayer, the power of your influence, and the power of heaven's influence. That's why those type of things are important. But Jesus said, I've come, they might have life, and then they might have it more abundantly. So what the enemy destroys, the Lord puts back together. What the enemy does take away, the Lord adds to. Come on, somebody. Uh, what the enemy does in specializing in bringing just destruction, Jesus comes and through all the power of heaven brings construction into your life. You're a work that is not finished. 
He saw you when you were in your mother, before you were in your mother's womb. He knows your, your beginning from your ending, and he's working a plan and purpose in your life. Even in the midst of the enemy doing all that he can do to destroy it and take it away, Jesus has the ability to bring abundance of his life, and all you've got to do is, in some feeble way, at, at best, at, at, at beginning anyway, is say, yes, Lord, here I am. One of the great scriptures that I love, it's found in the Old Testament in the, in the book of Jonah. And Jonah was that non-compliant prophet that was running, not just from sinners, but running from what God asked him to do. He didn't, he didn't think God had the right idea, didn't think it was the right on time, he didn't think the plan was good. Those people don't deserve the goodness of God, and I'm not going to do it, so I'm just going to get on a ship. You know the rest of the story, but in that whole story, whenever he's crawling out of, the, out of the whale vomit and crawling back up in shore, and he's getting himself together, it says the Lord came to Jonah a second time. He'll come to you. Second time. Even when you're not in your prettiest state. <laughs> Even when you don't smell your best. Even when you're not staying in the four or five star accommodation. You're just laying in the sand on the beach covered in vomit. And then all of that, he'll come, he'll come to you again. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I don't care how big a mess you've made of it. If you give him one little opportunity, he'll take it. Right now. Jesus said, when I come knock, if you just open. And I don't think it's like, oh, man, get the big grand doors and open. Come on. Come on in. No, I think it's maybe you just take the doorknob and you do a little peek. And he kicks the door in and comes on in and says, okay, I'm here to take over. Now, I know that might go against your, that the Holy Spirit's a gentleman, but... He's a forceful gentleman. Oh, come on. You've had him do that, right? Yeah, sure you have. <laughs> More abundantly. What's that mean? Beyond measure. I'm going to give you life beyond measure. I want you just look at yourself. If you're in this building and you've been serving Jesus for any length of time, you need to look at your life. That what Jesus is doing in my life is beyond measure. Especially in compared to what was happening before. That what Jesus is doing in my life right now, it's super abundant in quantity. That is, I'm living more now because I'm living for him. And he's packing more into my life now than whatever I could have done in any other activity I could have involved myself in. Abundant. I'm going to give it to you more abundantly. I'm going to give it in super abundant quantity. The happiest people in the world. If you want to look at the pollsters, and I'm not a big pollster guy, but I do see enough, the ones that uh, have some scientific approach to them, and there are some, have found out unequivocally, they hate reporting it, but that Christians are the most happy of any segmented group in society. They have better families. Does that mean they're perfect? No. They have better marriages. Does that mean they're perfect? No. They have better love lives. That's one of the reports. I'm, I'm shocked. I'm like, they're doing a test on that? Yeah. Why? Because Christians know how to love. And it just goes on and on and on. What, the, what are they talking about? What Jesus, the, simple, the simplicity of what Jesus, I'm going to come, and when I give you life, it's going to be beyond measure. It's going to be super abundant in quantity. I believe Christians, I, okay, let me put it this way. If you're a Christian, you're going to live longer than if you were to live the entirety of your life not being a Christian. Why? Because you'd have killed yourself in some stupid thing out there before you ever got to where you needed to get to. Some of you know what I'm talking about. His life is what is superior and you have an advantage when you live for Jesus that those who don't live for Jesus or that you not living for Jesus would have never had. There is an advantage by living for God. 
And that's just the stuff that happens in this world. Every Christian becomes, because of that, every Christian becomes a living billboard. There we go. Every Christian becomes a living billboard to a confused and lost world of what the best life should look like. Because the world's trying to say that the church is messed up. I'll be the first one to get online and say, the church is messed up. It's not perfect. But we don't proclaim that we're perfect, right? The world says that we're proclaiming that we're perfect. But from people's church with you, and I suspect you'll be in agreement if we really sat down and talked about it, and from me here, uh, we'll say, this is, we are not perfect people. We do not pretend that this is the best church in town or the perfect church in town, but it is a church in town. But the one thing that we are trying with our very best ability is going to be one of the friendliest churches in town, and you're doing a good job at that. You're doing a good job at that. And you were doing that before I got here. So praise God. Keep it up. Step it up a little bit, okay? Be more friendly than you've ever been. I mean, be sickeningly sweet friendly, okay? <laughs> Every Christian becomes a living billboard to a confused and lost world of what the best life should look like. Now, they're going to say you're a hypocrite and you're this and you're that. But if you're living for Jesus, just, if, you're just, if you're just reading the book of Proverbs every day and just working out Proverbs like Pastor Maul, John Maul said for years, uh, you've got something to show. But it's even beyond that. And so Paul is in the middle of this very thing in one of the culture centers of his day. And that's where I want to take the rest of my uh, little bit of time here and go over to Acts chapter 17. Paul is demonstrating the supernatural reality of his identity. And that's really what I'm getting down to. Living your best life isn't about just you being happy and contented and not being worried about stuff and, you know, go down the list. That's, that's part of it. That's, that's the internal part. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundant. There's more to expect out of life than just you being happy. I'm all for happiness. It's better than sadness any day. Okay. I don't know about that, Randy. That just kind of seemed to... Yeah. But I know you're happy people today, right? Smile at me. At least, it just, yeah. Uh, but Christianity is more than just about making you happy. <clears throat> it's making other people happy that they ran into you along life's way. Well, I thought Christians are supposed to hold the mark and tell them, oh, we are. <clears throat> but you can be happy doing it. And it is so powerful when they see the joy of the Lord is your strength. <clears throat> the old preacher was preaching about hell one day and the little boy told his mama, she said, how'd it go? She said, well, the preacher preached about hell today and I didn't mind him preaching about hell, but he preached like he wanted me to go there. <laughs> you get the message. And we're trying to get people from there. And I love this, this few verses I'm going to get into here. <clears throat> it's a classic, I mean, this is a college textbook kind of thing of how to be an evangelist, how to be a missionary. Really, let's remove all that. It's the classic textbook of how to be a Christian, living life the best way possible and living life more abundantly. What, what it really means is that there's enough in you because of Jesus that you've got something left over for other people. It's not just all about and if there's anything I, I believe the Western church can really kind of break through the mold and, and, and really distinguish them is that um, instead of being just, oh, it's about me, 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 I, 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 if we can bring it that, that point in the middle of a culture that programs you from that big to be about me, 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 I, I, I. But in Jesus, we actually get a turn around where it's about him, 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 and them, them, them. Jesus said what? He said, if you seek first the kingdom, 
He'll take care of all your me, 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 I, 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 right? All, all the other things will be added to you. So Paul's demonstrating this, Acts 17. Let me get over there. <clears throat> Everybody doing okay? I enjoyed a couple of weeks, not because I didn't have to preach, but I enjoyed the, the couple of weeks of having some prophetic ministry happen in the church at different layers and different levels. <clears throat> Let's keep building on it. Acts 17, 22. Are you there? Oh, I just, I would love to give the full background of this, but I don't have time to do it. <clears throat> but Paul, Paul was waiting for some of his missionary friends to catch up to him, and so we hold up in a place called Athens. What would Athens in Paul's day be like? Well, in America, maybe the closest thing would be like a Washington, D.C. or a New York City, a hub of culture and politics and science and, and all of that that influences everything around it. <clears throat> Might be like a London or Tokyo or something like that on a world stage. It was the hub. A lot that was coming out that impacted the world in that day and into, impacted the cultures was coming out of Athens, higher thought. Higher thing, very artistic. Some of the things that our culture still kind of clings to in the, in the old arts and philosophy actually were born out of this place. They still teach them. I think I can pronounce it stoicism. That is taught in college campuses in America was birthed in Athens. That is how to be a stoic, a deep thinker. <clears throat> so, Paul's waiting for them, verse 16 in Athens. Now, I... I uh, <clears throat> he was out doing what Paul, what every Christian should be. He was influenced his, his little circle of, of uh, friends and associates and being in the grocery store, being out wherever he was just, he was just being a Christian. And somehow it got around and they came to him and said, we hear you, you are proclaiming some strange message about resurrection, about this guy named Jesus, about this new religion, and, and it brought division. Hello. It always has and it always will. Don't let that, don't let somebody get upset because you're a Christian, you know, make you go in the closet. <laughs> it's time to come out. No secret service Christians, all right? <clears throat> don't be afraid to step over the chicken line. Paul wasn't, neither, Jesus wasn't, neither should we be afraid to step over that line of demarcation. And so i got to get over to verse 22 and enough of it, trying to build it up. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus. It, it was an arena dedicated to Mars. They worshipped the planet Mars. Why? Because it was red. One of the things in the Roman mind, it meant blood and it meant war. And Rome ruled the world with an iron fist. And they killed and conquered every kingdom, every authority every power and many of their learned people worship Mars because it was red and this region this building was dedicated to that and they turned it into a place of higher learning and thought and all that Paul stood in the midst of it and said men of Athens I perceive that in all things you are very religious you know the devil wants you to think that the world is all agnostic and atheist but they're not they're really quite religious <laughs> it takes faith to be an atheist it really does. 
It takes faith to believe the things that are taught on many college campuses that uh, are taught at the moment as absolute truth, and yet 10 years from now, uh, the addendum is, well, we didn't know then what we know now, and it's different than we thought then. It, just go look into how the education system works. You'll see that happening over and over again. But if you miss one half of one verse, oh, you're going to be taking the test. So it's two totally different systems. But Paul's here. And he said, I perceive that we live in a very religious day. People, the, the interest in the supernatural and the paranormal is at all-time highs. That's a religion. You can put all the pieces together there. It doesn't take very much. It's always been that way. Because in the heart of every person made, there's a spot that wants something bigger, that wants to know, I came, I came from somewhere other than here. And so the world says, no, you came from a swamp billions of years ago, and with enough time, you turn into you. And you pay them $100,000 a year tuition to get that. <laughs> this is not a very fancy watch. It's, it's a technical watch, right? Again, this is an eye watch. It's really a computer, right? It's not really. There are no gears in this. <clears throat> millions and millions and millions of years ago, the titanium back started to have molecules in a swamp that coalesced. <laughs> Silicone that was from the volcanoes began to, over millions and billions of years' time, they began to become wafers. <laughs> the specialized glass that is unbreakable, that won't scratch, oh, that came from sand being superheated in over billions and billions of years. And now we have this. Any four-year-old would not buy that premise. This is an open system device. When it breaks, you send it back to Apple, the creator, and they can fix it, right? Yeah, it's an open system. Yet every one of you that has one of the things hanging on your wrist, your wrist is a billion times more complicated than what this watch is. Because your wrist is a closed system. It'll go as long as you go. If you don't get it torn off in a motorcycle wreck or a lion fight or something like that, it'll go as long as you go. And it will heal itself. It will renew itself. It will replicate every cell within it. Everything is beautifully and one of the most intricate design joints in any living creature. And as preposterous as this wash coming out of a swamp with billions and billions of years, it's even more preposterous to say that the wrist that it hangs on came out of that same swamp. And yet they teach it, and the world, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy, right? Anyway, it's just a little, a little side note. So Paul is telling them, you're very religious. That whole thing I was talking to you about is religious. It's religion. For I was passing through considering the objects of your worship. Oh, by the way, there are people that worship Apple products. I'm not one of them. I just happen to have this on. But, uh, uh, and he said, I found, I was passing through considering the objects of your worship. It would do good for the church to figure out what the world's worshiping rather than just figuring out 
and telling them what we're worshiping. We know what we're worshiping. Do you know what they're worshiping? It would do you good to find out. <laughs> and I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Paul is setting it up. I am just loving it. He's a master. He's coming in and he's setting them up. He's setting them up for the Jesus punchline. He's setting up, he's using everything that they develop in their culture and he's bringing them in. God anointed, God will anoint you to do the same thing. He wasn't, at this point, they weren't ready to kill him yet, although that changes. Uh, therefore, the one whom you worship, he said, I saw this inscription, the unknown God. So the one you worship without knowing him, I'm, I'm going to proclaim him, I proclaim to you. God who made the world and everything in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshiped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, since he gives all life, breath, and all things. And I love this part. I love this part. And he has made from one blood every nation. That word is ethnos. Every culture, every human, every color, every different shape and size. He's made, he's made from one blood. It's all red. I don't care what this is on the outside. You poke a hole in you, and it's all red. <laughs> if it's the right type, it'll work in red, yellow, black, and white. It'll work in all of us. He's made it from one blood. Didn't say from one skin, but from one blood. Man, the enemy is just having a field day with lying about that, isn't he? This was happening over there right now. And, and uh, uh, one blood, every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. Uh, how did it all come to be? Where we all, God set it up that way because he's God. And he knows how to do it the way that it needs to be done. So that they should seek the, and the reasons for. Here, here's the thing that, that the enemy is stealing, killing, and destroying. And let's just take this one. Race, for example. The Lord actually set up the different races so that we would, we would be able to realize that there is a one true God. Instead of dividing us, oh, this, only this race really knows God and this one doesn't. Or whatever uh, distinction you want to make. God did it just the opposite. That because of the diversity of creation and humanity, it's actually one of the things that points to the reality of God. Why? Because the, on the inside, we all have the same need for God. There isn't a super spiritual need for, for the things of God that's more in one color as opposed to another color. They're all the same. They're all lost, and they all need a Savior. Now, there are different styles, and there are different methods, and all of that. But the diversity of races on the planet is something that the enemy has taken to kill, steal, and destroy. And I believe it's about time the church steps in and says, wait a second. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, or what color, or what background. Uh, you're, you're, you're a person that needs Jesus, and we are all going to the same place, those that know the Lord. And those that don't know the Lord are going to the same place, too. It's just a different place. <laughs> so Paul's demonstrating the supernatural reality. And so uh, I'm just going to carry on, then I'm going to close up. Uh, and just want to read another portion of the verses. And he has all made in one blood every nation, men to dwell on the earth. He's determined the pre-appointed time, the boundaries of their dwelling, so that they should seek the Lord in hope that they might grope. King James says, happily. That is, that they might find there's something inside every person that realizes there's got to be more than what I'm just experiencing now without Christ. I'm talking about people before Jesus. I love what Levi said last week. If you weren't here, he gave some points about revival. And I think one of his points was, is that everybody wants Jesus. Oh, I thought that was so good. It comes right. They're all groping. 
They're all looking. They're all, uh, they're all searching. Now, they'll tell you they're not, but they really are. So if you've ever found yourself in the spot in this way where you're, you're, you're dealing with your identity as a believer and not just in who you are, but being a believer position in a world that doesn't believe. You've all got neighbors, right? I'm going to tell you a story. I won't, won't take time. But man, in some of my neighbors in this new little community where we're in, I'm, we're just watching the miracle hand of God. Because um, I don't tell anybody I'm a pastor. It's not I'm trying to keep it secret, but it's just uh, I don't have pastor hanging on my door. Okay. Uh, but the one lady next door, Susan, told her. And it's amazing to me that in uh, a little over a year, that for three or four houses down this way, three or four houses, they all know I'm a pastor. And I'm like, when do you all have this meeting? I wasn't invited. How do I, you know, uh, it's, it's the craziest thing I've ever. So I just decided I'm going to just go with it. So I'm the preacher that walks the dog all around the neighborhood. Anybody walking a dog? Uh, they're going to walk the dog with the preacher in the neighborhood. And I'm not just inviting the church. I'm just loving on them. The kindness of God. <laughs> That's kind of what Paul was doing. If you've ever been in this spot, if you've ever found yourself in this, this is what the Bible says about you. John, 1 John 4, 4. I'm just going to go through it. Greater is he that's in you than he's in the world. Who's in you is greater than anything going on out there. Don't believe the lie of the devil that you're just, you're just a little thing that needs to be kicked to the curb. No, you've got the answers of, of eternity. Romans 8, 31 and 30. If God be for us, who can be against us? That's what God says about you. And me. Acts 17, 28. For in him, right here we're reading, for in him, in God, in Jesus, we live and move and have our being. I'm going to close up with this. Living, moving, and being. Real living is kingdom living, meaningful living. This type of living that Jesus is talking about, he talked about over in John 15, 1 through 5, and I'm not going to read it, but it's where Jesus said about us being a part of the vine. We're connected to the vine. Jesus is the vine, of course. We're the, we're the branches. We're connected. Uh, real living, kingdom living, meaningful living is living connected. So I'm going to ask you a few, uh, a few questions. Uh, am I living a... You need to be asking yourself this. Uh, what is my life connected to? Now, I don't mean about church on Sunday morning. We're connected. We're here, right? Okay, that's good. We got it all handled here on Sunday morning. It's good. What's going on out there? I'm not saying it's not good. I'm just saying that's... What are you connected to out there? You're connected pretty tight in here. I mean, I got you. We're talking. We're worshiping. We're singing. We're praying. We're anointing. We're doing. But man, out there, you got to stay connected to the vine, no matter where you're at. Amen. It's not like I connect on Sunday morning, and then out there, I just kind of do my thing, and then we'll pray over it, and then we'll come back in, and we'll reconnect. No, you're connected. If you're going to live real life, if you're going to live the best life, you got to stay connected. If you're solitary, you'll never know what the best life really is. And I don't mean single. Oh, you can be single and be blessed and happy and all Paul was. And, but I'm saying solitary. That is, you just don't want to be connected in life. You want to cruise in and cruise out on your own. You know what I'm talking about? Jesus didn't let people cruise in and cruise out of, the, of, of his kingdom. Pick up your uh, uh, cross and follow me. The rich young ruler, sell all you got, give it to the poor, and come follow me. I mean, it's, he's pretty, yeah. Try building a church on that one. <laughs> uh, but in every situation, am I, am I living a connected life or a solitary life? I've seen married people absolutely living like solitary people. I've seen families, moms and dads and kids and 
grandkids. And big house, round table, screaming, hollering, all the stuff going on. But yet in the middle of it, somebody's just solitary. If that's you, you need to get connected. Connect to him first, then he'll connect you to the place and people that you need to be connected to. So in every situation, ask, ask yourself this question. Whatever's going on in your life, I want you to ask this. Where, what does life really mean to you? Go, and go to, uh, where's this? You need to ask this. Whatever you're dealing with, where is this coming from? What I'm dealing with. Where is this coming? Are you connected as a branch to the true vine? That connection, the vine will cause and bring you to real life. What's, what's going on in your life? Where is it coming from? Oops. The good, the bad, the ugly. Yo, where is it coming from? Jesus said it's only two places. Steal, kill, and destroy. Devil. Life more abundantly, him. Simple. Let it be that simple. If it's killing, stealing, destroying, I'm talking figuratively, if it's not bringing life into you, you need to deal with that. You need to have somebody pray with you. You need to search the book. You need to, you need to get connected to the vine and say, I am done with this solitary, stinking, thinking, woe is me uh, kind of thing. I'm going to be connected to the superabundant life of victory that comes in Christ. Okay. To really kind of define that out, I'm going to close with this. Three questions. What does, it, what does life really mean to you? Acts 17, 28. In him we live, we move, we have our being. What's life really mean to you? Paul said, for me to live. Come on, you Philippian Bible scholars. For me to live is Christ. And die is gain. Wow. What's life really mean to you? You know who owns that question, really? Or used to own it. I don't listen to it anymore. Uh, but... The realm in our culture that really owned that question was country and western music. You know, my, you're cheating hard. You know, it was all about relationships and romance and usually a mess and, or finding somebody. You know, what's life really mean to you? Is it in him? Is how you move? Is it in him? Is your very being in him? Is that, is that how you're living? If you are, then you're going you're gonna to have a, a really great life. What is the biggest, another question, what is the biggest influence in my life? John 15, 5. Uh, it's being connected and what's influencing. Do you know there are actually people that are called influencers today on YouTube? Is that right? And they're the ones that have what? How many do they got to have to be an influencer? Like 100,000, something like that? Followers, right? Or people that check. <laughs> That's not the influence I'm talking about. What's influencing you? If you're letting the world influence you, you're never going to have your best life. Your influence has to come from heaven, from his people, from his ways. What is the source of the thing that makes me most happy? Oh, I've had to answer this a few times. Ha <laughs> ha, just like you. Romans 8, 31, 32. How shall he not with him freely give us all things? What is the source of the thing? Find, do that little internal search. What am I really most happy at? Now, God is not against you being happy. I'm not, I'm not just hear me out. He's not against you, you know, going out and shooting, boating, camping, you know, driving. He's not against that. But if that's where your true sense of happiness is coming from, it needs to be switched. My, my suggestion is, is get him in the middle of that. So whatever I'm doing that re I really like doing, and I have hobbies, but... I find in the middle of my hobby, I'm going to bring Jesus in the middle of it. Then, this is what I found. Bringing Jesus in the middle of what really makes me happy makes me even more happy than the thing that was making me happy because Jesus is in the middle because I'm watching what he's doing in other people. What kind of gobbledygook are you talking about? I'm talking about 
being on a gun range competing with other men. And somewhere in the middle of the competition that's intense and loud and ah, I end up with a conversation with some guy about how to serve God, how to be a better husband, how to work uh, his business better. That kind of, and all of a sudden, the activity that I like doing is secondary. That's what I'm talking about. Whatever makes you happy, most happy, he wants to be in the middle of it. If he can't be in the middle of it, find something else. <laughs> I'm not even going to talk about what that could be because I'm just not going to, I'm not going to explore those options. But uh, uh, that's, that's a really big deal because the enemy will lie to you about this way, especially young people. Oh, if you go and serve God and go to that church, you're never going to have any more fun. That's a lie from the devil, right? I'm running out of time. What is the source that troubles me most? All God's children have got troubles. We all do. Matter of fact, Jesus said in the New Testament and the Old Testament, the New Testament teaches very practically that, yeah, uh, to serve, serve him, you're, you're going to endure some difficult times. Peter said, don't think it's strange concerning these fiery trials, as though some strange thing has come upon you. Yeah, it happens. The difference between us and, and Muhammad or us and Buddha is that our God said, I'm going to be right there with you right through it. 1 John 4, 4. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. What's the source of the thing that troubles me? If you want to live your best life, take things that trouble you, and whatever that care is, you're specifically told. It's not complicated, but it has to be intentional. You're to take that which troubles you most, that care, and you're to cast it upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. He wants to be in the middle of what troubles you. I don't care what it is. There is, new, there is as many as there are people. He doesn't want you to just put on a facade, go to church, everything is great, and then out there suffer in silence and solitary. He wants me right in the middle of it. He wants to stand. Because I want to I deal with this one single issue. Whatever has been troubling you lately, the enemy wants to use that to diminish and make you think, that somehow your life is not like it should be. And that's a lie. I'm going to brag on Scott a little bit. And I'm going to pump Dan's ministry a little bit. On Monday nights, through Scott's job change. And a lot of change. And all kinds of change. You know what? This is just a word from the pastor. Get to enjoy change. <laughs> Embrace it. Welcome it when it comes. Uh, but I watched him every week. I'm standing. I'm believing. I don't know where. I don't know how. We all, as men, I mean, he's on the prayer list. We're praying. We're working through it and just in the spirit. A couple days ago, he sent the text out. Hey, I got the offer. And I watched. I watched. Some of you guys were, were on. I watched. Oh, congrats. All this, all that, all that. Oh, I was just like, oh, I'm happy for Scott getting a job. But I was just as happy for what I was seeing happening. In the, you guys that are on that know what I'm talking about. What's the source of the thing that troubles you most? You need to get it connected with some other believers. And watch what happens. Excuse me, this thing's falling off my head. So I want to do that right now. Whatever's troubling you, I want you to shut your eyes. 
I want you to just take it, name it, just get a hold of it. I mean, put it right there in the middle of both your hands, right out in front of you. Just say, there it is. Now, Scott, a week ago, it would have been, God, I need a job. So you know what I'm talking about. Lord, I need this, I need this, I need this. It's usually one of those things. Whatever that source of trouble is, I don't care what it is. I don't care how dark, how murky it is. I don't care how ashamed you may be of it. I don't care if it should never be named amongst humanity. That's fine. God can handle it. But you put it right there and say, Lord, here it is. This is what's keeping me from me having what I think would be a better life and a best life. This right here. Some of you, it's past things. Some of you, it's present things. Some of you, you're scared of the future. Here's my future, God. I don't know what's going to happen. Put it right there. I want you to get a grip on it. My emotions are hanging on this thing, God. It keeps me up at night. I don't sleep, go to sleep well because of it. I'm not eating right because of it. I'm worried. My relationships are messed up because of it. There are things here that, God, I wouldn't tell another living human being because of it. But, God, I can't live my life the way that you want me to because I've got this thing. you got a hold of it right now. Just begin to relax your grip on it. <laughs> You've been hanging on to it for dear life. Relax your grip on it. Might be a loved one who doesn't know Jesus. Relax your grip on it. God cares more about it than you do. If it's holding you back, he wants to switch it around to where it propels you ahead into his purpose and plan. Just symbolic thing, just cast it. Just throw it up in the air. Say, Lord, here it is. I'm going to play catch. Here it is. I'm going to throw it to you, God. I cast this care upon you. I cast it upon you right now. Just all over the building, just start casting it. Just start releasing it. Lord, I let it go right now. I just let it go. Here's yours, Lord. I, I don't want to carry it anymore. I keep myself secluded and hidden away because of it. God, I just surrender it to you right now. I'm not going to let this thing dictate and dominate my life anymore. Jesus came that I might have life and I might have it more abundantly. Lord, I want your abundance to overwhelm this lack. It's a step of faith. But by simply saying, here it is, Jesus, it's yours. I give it to you. It's a step of faith. I know you're going to want to take a hold of it as soon as you get out of here. I get that. <laughs> he understands it. You say, here it is, God. I give it to you again. I don't care how many times it takes you giving it to him again. I suggest you get with another believer that you really, really trust. And trusting in flesh and in people, it's kind of, you know, scary things sometimes. But let them be in have integrity and men or women of God and love you and care for you. I'm saying don't, don't walk it alone. I give it to you, Jesus. This one service right here can start to turn around in your life that you never thought would come. Now, I want just everybody in the room, regardless what you're going through, just say, Lord, I receive all that you have for me. Just start praying it. Lord, I receive all you have for me. I mean, get bold about it. I receive all you have for me. 
There'll be nothing. He's not going to give you a serpent if you ask for a fish. He's not going to give you a stone if you ask for bread. Jesus said, you being wicked know how to give good gifts. How much more will your Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit if you ask him? Say, God, I need your Holy Spirit. Give him to me. Let him come into my life in a greater and more full measure than I've ever experienced before with all the things that go with him. Thank you, Jesus. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. At some point in your life, you're going to come to enough healing that this thing that you're dealing with, that you're letting go and surrendering, is going to become a part of your testimony. Oh, I could never share this. It's not about getting up and preaching about it. But it's going to become a part of, look what the Lord has done in my life. I was this. I was blind, but now I see. That was one man's testimony. I was caught in the act of adultery, she said, and they were about to kill me. The religious people were going to stone me, but Jesus said, go and sin no more, and here I am. That was her testimony. And you can go on and on and on. Everybody in this room has one. It's about time you start living out your testimony. Look what the Lord has done. If you need prayer, if you want prayer, I'm going to open the altars. Come on down. Other than that, you're dismissed. Lord, I pray the blessing of heaven upon this people. I pray that your kingdom come, your will be done right here on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, I pray there will be some people's lives that are transformed and changed out of these few moments we spent together in the Word today. I pray if there's anybody here that has never said yes to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, that before they leave this building, they are going to do that, and they're going to accept you as their personal Lord and Savior. God, I bless this people as they go. Remember their offerings, Lord, and bless them in all that they put their hands to do in Jesus' name. If you're here and you've never accepted Christ, I want you to come forward and just meet me down here. I want to talk to you about it. And... Uh, introduce you to my very, very best friend. His name is Jesus. God bless you all. If you need prayer, I need a couple intercessors up here to help me pray for people. See you Wednesday night. Guys, we'll see you tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, downstairs in the men's room, the men's meeting room. (laughs) 